Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 197. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. We've been watching the collapse of American society for more than two years. We may have another two years before it completely collapses, but I don't really think we have that much time. If you plan to protect your family from what's coming, you must act now. Did you know that statistics from Keras say that 70% of Catholics get 100% of their Catholic information from your parish Sunday bulletin? After my pastor mentioned to me that he'd like to find a way to catechize the whole parish without setting up a class, this little statistic inspired an idea. With my pastor's permission, I began writing a bulletin insert called What We Believe, Why We Believe It. 
Since it's merely inserted into the bulletin, it's intrusive, meaning that parishioners have to remove it to read the bulletin. In the process, they read this little thumbnail catechism lesson, and they let Father know that they love them. You see, I teach the faith with stories, anecdotes, and parables. They're not your typically boring catechesis. And best of all, I teach why we're supposed to believe the church's teachings, which affirms your parishioners in their faith. As a convert and consecrated member of the Marian Catechist Apostolate under the direction of Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, I teach the entire faith, even tackling the really tough moral issues. You can learn more by watching an 11-minute video by clicking the link in my show notes that says Six-Pack System Bulletin Inserts. So you can try it without risk, you can get it for three months. You can even download three samples while you're on the page with the video. This is ideal for good priests who want to help their parishioners become fully catechized, and a lot of lay people get a subscription for their parish as a way to support the parish without having to give the bishop any of their money. To learn more, click on the link in my show notes that says Six-Pack System Bulletin Inserts. It just requires 11 minutes of your time. Before I launch into the topic for this episode, I want to thank all you six-pack warriors for your prayers. I've still got a long way to go before I'm back in the shape I was in before, but the doctors are telling me I'm tentatively out of the woods. It's all thanks to your prayers and sacrifices for me. I really shouldn't be working yet, but I just had to jump in and thank you. Besides, you probably knew I couldn't keep my mouth shut for a whole three weeks anyway. Once again, thank you. I also want to mention that we're running out of questions for Bishop Strickland, so please send me your questions to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now let's start talking about how society is about to collapse. American society began to collapse while President Trump was in office. It didn't happen because of him, but rather in spite of him. Under Trump's watch, we saw the rise of the fascist group Antifa and the Black Lives Matter Marxists. They began destroying cities all across the country and had ordinary Americans terrified. On top of that, we had the COVID tyranny. Through that tyrannical exercise, over 200,000 small businesses went under, and Democrat-controlled cities and states saw devastation never before seen in our country. Drug addiction and suicides went through the roof, especially among our children. Once the Biden administration rose to power, they intentionally took America from energy independence to energy dependence, intentionally created the worst inflation and recession since the 1970s, and threw our southern borders open to illegal aliens from around the world, not just Central and South America, but from around the world. There have been nearly 50 terrorists apprehended at our southern border trying to sneak into America during the Biden administration. So we have to wonder how many actually made it over the border. Remember, it only took 19 terrorists to kill 3,000 Americans on 9-11. Now Maduro of Venezuela is loading up all that country's incarcerated murderers, rapists, and other violent criminals, putting them on trained boxcars and sending them to their northern border. 
These predators are being told by the Venezuelan government that they must go to the United States, and if they return to Venezuela, they'll be killed. How long before we see the disaster that little Venezuelan move is going to create? Added to everything else I've already mentioned, we have extreme left-wing prosecutors in jurisdictions across the country releasing murderers, rapists, and pedophiles back into society without bail or not even charging them in the first place. We've also got Hollywood and woke corporations doing all sorts of crazy things to groom our children for pedophilia, homosexuality, and transgenderism. The worst part about the grooming is that we're paying our school districts to groom our kids. Parents who protest these actions at school board meetings are labeled domestic terrorists and getting harassed by the FBI. Are we in the end times? Is Jesus going to return soon? I don't know. Jesus was quite clear that we'll never know when he'll return. He may not come back for another thousand years for all we know. But one thing is absolutely certain. The more that society breaks down, the more your family is in danger. If you're like most Americans now, you're probably scratching your head trying to figure out how to protect your family. Maybe you're one of the many millions of Americans who've been buying firearms over the last couple of years. That's a good start, but it's not a solution. You can't guarantee that you'll have a gun in your hand and around a family member when something happens. I admire your spunk if you've been acquiring guns, but that isn't an end-all, be-all solution. There isn't any longer a political solution. The Democrats have proven that they'll go to great lengths to steal an election, so we've got no assurances the Republicans will control Congress again after the November 8 election. Since 24 GOP House members voted for the Respect for Marriage Act, which would protect all same-sex civil marriages and redefine the legal recognition of marriage as being between one man and one woman, I'm not convinced the GOP is all that interested in saving the country anyway. The only solution for protecting your family is to get off the grid and get off it now. Yes, you dads and husbands are going to have to be the bad guy and completely disrupt your family's lives in order to save them. There are actually several options available to you, but only if you begin to act now. Before I explain some of your options, let me be clear about a few things. First of all, I'm giving you advice that I thoroughly believe in but can't take advantage of it myself. My health is too bad and I'm all crippled up. In order to take my advice on any of these options, you have to be in relatively decent health. I'm in a wheelchair, Mrs. Sixpack and I are elderly, and we're homebound. If you're in the same situation as us, you may as well quit listening to this episode now. Secondly, I've been well-trained in survival techniques. If I were still a young man, I could survive quite well in the wilderness, even without a gun. However, I've also done a great deal of research on this topic for you. I love my six-pack warriors. You're a gift of God to me. Therefore, I feel obligated to help you protect your loved ones, so you're the whole reason I'm doing this episode. There's no one-shoe-fits-all solution here. I'm going to give you some options in the order of importance based solely on my opinion of what's best. What's best for me isn't necessarily best for you and your family. 
You'll just have to make your plans based on the abilities of your family's weakest member. It does no good to make your plans based on strengths and capabilities if it still costs you the lives of weaker family members. You'll survive a societal collapse, but they won't. You can't coddle your weakest members either. You've got to realistically expect more from them than they think they can do. The most important lesson I learned in all of my training was that I could do far more than I thought I could. Don't underestimate your spouse and children. They're far more capable than you might think. The popularity of survival prepping measures has soared in recent years. What was once a fringe movement has now grown in the mainstream media as a way of protecting your family from a worst-case scenario. Until recent years, people couldn't fathom a situation where society broke down, buildings were burned, store shelves emptied, and other dire events unfolded. But now, we serve as witnesses to daily events that are alarming and give us much consideration about where we stand with preparedness. While some families are merely stocking up on supplies at home, others are going one step further and preparing a separate survival homestead property that they can bug out to in the event of national or local emergency, the latter being the more insightful of the two. This might be due to civil unrest, civil war, Chinese invasion, a significant weather event, or some other catastrophe. There are times when you may find that your home is unsafe, your supplies have been ransacked or depleted, and it's safer to leave than to stay. If you can afford it, it's always wise to purchase a separate piece of property for survival purposes and then create a homestead that allows you to live off the grid whenever the need arises. I'm going to do my level best to guide you toward that end. The very first thing I recommend, the thing I believe is safest, is to pull up roots, turn all of your assets into cash, and move. When looking for isolated land, wooded land with running water nearby, such as rivers, creeks, or streams, is preferable. Wooded land offers more in the way of food sources, protection, cover, and concealment. There's a lot of such land in states like Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Colorado, Georgia, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, eastern Oklahoma, Tennessee, Utah, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. As part of my first recommendation, I think you should buy a 5-10 to 10 acre plot where you can build a completely self-sufficient homestead. The second thing I recommend is joining a survival community. There are three large survival communities that I recommend. The good thing about survival communities is that you'll be with like-minded people. Because of that, you won't have to worry about learning every skill on your own. Other members of the community will have skills you haven't yet learned. Furthermore, survival communities already have security built into the community. The third thing I recommend is to buy land in as rural an area near your home as you can. According to the demographics of six-pack warriors, the vast majority of you live in or near a city. City dwellers can't survive when society collapses. The least you have to do is acquire land within driving distance of your current home in the most rural area possible. 
Obviously, the things I recommend here barely scrape the tip of the iceberg. Don't worry, though. I'm not leaving you twisting in the wind. In episode 193, the one titled Trump, Civil War, and the Second Amendment, I promised you that I'd have a book ready by the end of September that will fully prepare you for what you need to do in order to protect your family when society begins to collapse. The title of that book is How Your Family Can Survive When Society Collapses. But you can't buy the book and wait to use it when the feces hits the oscillating rotor. You have to begin to prepare now, right now. In How Your Family Can Survive When Society Collapses, I've done all the research for you. In this comprehensive guide, I tell you everything you need to know to be able to protect your family and learn how to live off the grid. In fact, following the things I teach in this book will not only help you to survive, but your family will actually be able to prosper. How Your Family Can Survive When Society Collapses not only provides the information you need, but there are resources peppered throughout the book where appropriate. The final chapter of the book is nothing but resources to make what you need to survive as painless as possible. You'll find a link to this book in the show notes for the episode at cantankerouscatholic.com. You'll also find it on the Joe's Stuff page under books at cantankerouscatholic.com. If you can't navigate to my website, you can find the book on Amazon. This is not a book I wanted to write. I felt I had to write it out of loyalty to you six-pack warriors and your families. Good luck. You might want to sit down for this one. I'm going to stop asking you for gifts to support this show and begin asking you to help me get more listeners to the Cantankerous Catholic. It won't cost you anything except a few minutes of your time. The more reviews the Cantankerous Catholic gets, the more often it's displayed by the podcast aggregators when people are looking for new podcasts. Occasionally, this might cause the Cantankerous Catholic to get attention from Podcast Magazine, the industry's trade magazine. So click on the link in my show notes that says, Rank and Review the Cantankerous Catholic so more Catholics can join us. Then write a short review. doesn't cost you anything and it doesn't make me anything. It just gets more listeners for the Cantankerous Catholic and makes the USCCB live it. That's a good thing. It's time for the Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Each week, His Excellency answers your toughest questions about the Catholic faith, the problems in the church, spiritual questions, catechetical topics, or anything else you want to know. If you have a question, just email it to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now here's Bishop Strickland and Joe Sickpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Six-Pack Warriors, here we are again with Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, for this edition of The Sacred Heart Wins. You know, I just love that title more and more every time we talk about it. So, Excellency, how are you today? Good, Joe. Good to be with you again. Okay, thank you. I'm. Yeah, it's good to be with you, too. I always look forward to it. Uh, Thomas asks, why doesn't the church insist that priests, bishops, cardinals, 
resign, and if necessary, defrock those who don't conform to canon law, follow the precepts of Holy Mother Church who knowingly support abortion, homosexuality, or those that have sexually abused, uh, who have sexually abused specifically children? Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I don't claim to have, well, I, I guess I do claim to have the answer, but um, to to see the answer really lived is, is the great challenge. Uh, the church is not as strong as she should be. I mean, Christ is with us. The truth is, is as true as it always was, but there's there's too much compromise, and it's, it's not something that just happened in 2022. It's been building in the culture. Um, it didn't just happen in Vatican II. I mean, some people point that, oh, it's where things fell apart. Yeah. There, this has been eroding for more than 100 years, um, and we that shouldn't cause us to just throw up our hands in dismay, but to just be realistic and and recognize that we need to call each other to accountability more. Um, and, you know, all the, the you know, the, the list of the, the clergy, the, the cardinals and the bishops and the priests that have not lived up to the teaching of the, they do need to be corrected. Um, I mean, through the ages, I mean, people reach back to things like the Inquisition and everything, but, I think without going back to the Inquisition, we need to really believe the truth, believe in what the church teaches, and recognize something that I say constantly is the greatest charity is to bring someone to the truth. I think if we just all said, okay, yes, I believe that, the greatest charity is to bring another person to the truth. I mean, it, it really ties into. Christ called to love one another as I have loved you. Real love is bringing people to the truth. I mean, love is willing the good of the other. To will the good of the other is to know that they are guided by the truth. So, and we're so broken as a culture, as a church, as humanity in this time. I mean, we don't give up, but I guess that's the reason that I see that that priests, businessmen, cardinals, uh, congressmen, presidents. I mean, look at all the people that aren't aren't held accountable for the things that they do. Um, that is just part of our brokenness. And the best answer I have is we have to keep going back to the truth and begin with ourselves. I have to begin with myself in humility. And ask myself, like you were saying, you know, a good confession, whether it's on the Eighth Commandment or any of the other nine commandments. I mean, we need to look at the Ten Commandments and ask ourselves, am I living up to this? Amen. It's always going to be, no. well, I'm falling short in areas. So the accountability has to start with us. And then wherever we find ourselves, for me as a bishop, it's a huge responsibility I have. And I, I do my best to live up to it as a sinful, weak man, but I need to keep working at it, as we all do. Husbands and fathers, mothers and wives, single people, all of us need to take up, am I being the, the Christian that Christ is calling me to be? 
and to recognize the ways we're falling short. So we're living in a culture where that accountability is not strongly um, addressed. What we have to remember is one day all of us will be held accountable, not in this world, but by the Lord of all. Jesus Christ clearly tells us that more than once. There will be a day of reckoning. And so that's what we have to believe and and trust that ultimately what doesn't get addressed in this life is we are called to promote justice and peace and to live the truth. But what doesn't get addressed in this life for you and me, for the two Joes in this picture, <laughs> for everyone asking the questions, everyone listening, ultimately that day of reckoning will be for each of us individually. And so out of love and out of love for the truth, we have an obligation to call people to accountability. We do need to do a much better job. Early in his answer, Bishop Strickland uh, brought up Vatican II and how some people blame that everything fell apart with Vatican II. <laughs> I want to address that real quick. First of all, Vatican II is an absolutely valid and beautiful council, especially documents like Lumen Gentium. And none of the problems we have today were caused by, by Vatican II. They were caused by the Marxists and the neo-modernists who have infiltrated the church. They used Vatican II as an opportunity to wreak all this havoc. And none of you, absolutely none of you, have any valid reason to say anything good or bad about Vatican II until you've actually read the documents. I have never met a single critic of Vatican II who has read the 16 conciliar documents. If you don't read them, you don't have a right to make a comment that's negative against Vatican II. I've read them all. I did that as a neophyte. Now, if I could read them all, and I have to admit they're real sleepers, <laughs> but if I could read them all, so can you, and you should. Would you agree with that, Excellency? Absolutely. As you said, it is beautiful. It's beautiful truth. Much of it contained in the catechism, and the catechism is beautiful. And to read the catechism and the documents of Vatican II, you, that. It, and it's not just to see what's wrong there. It, it's not wrong. And it, it really emphasizes what a rich and beautiful faith we have in the Catholic Church with all of our problems. The truth is so powerful and so well expressed in those documents that we just need to keep reading them and calling ourselves back to what they talk about rather than letting it get diluted by those forces, the principali principalities and powers that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you, Excellency. Uh, moving on to a question from, I, I, I'm terrible with Spanish names. I assume it's pronounced Javier or Javier. I'm oh, not yeah. sure. Javier. Yeah. You would know you got lots of Mexican names in Texas. He's asking what I think is a beautiful and humble question. He wants to know, how does the normal, everyday Catholic strengthen his family's daily faith? Well, Joe, my, my go-to answer for that is to, for Javier, 
presuming he's the dad of the family, um, to go to Jesus, spend time in prayer with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Amen. In, in adoration, or if there's no adoration available, to just go and pray before the Lord in the tabernacle. That's where he needs to start and to encourage the rest of his family to do the same. I truly believe that this a renewal in Eucharistic faith is at the very center point, the epicenter of renewing the church is Amen. knowing Jesus in the Eucharist. That's my recommendation to a, a, a father who really loves his family and wants to draw them closer to their faith and ensure that his kids remain Catholic, remain committed to Christ in his church for all of their lives. Call them to know Jesus in his Eucharistic presence. Amen. Thank you, Excellency. And I'd like to give Javier a little bit of advice. I'm bound to a wheelchair now, and I'm stuck at home 24-7. But I used to go to daily adoration. I used to spend an hour a day with Jesus in the tabernacle. And I want to tell you, that's a difficult habit to start. It's a difficult routine to begin. Because whenever you get before the Blessed Sacrament, you end up within a few minutes finding your mind wandering and you're thinking about everything except why you're there. But don't get discouraged when that happens. Just direct your mind and your focus back to the Eucharist because Jesus is there and he will let you know that he's there. Trust me, I've had some conversations with him, and I mean conversations right there, right there in a chapel or wherever. And um, he has solved problems for me. He has uh, inspired me with solutions to problems and things like that. And this is really the very best thing, as, as His Excellency said, this is the best thing you can do for your family and yourself, Javier, and yourself. So don't hesitate to spend time with Jesus in the tabernacle. At least do it once a week, if not every day. There are 168 hours in a week. If you're too busy to give him one of those 168 hours, you're just too busy. That's yeah. all there is to it. And really, Joe, I would just add to that, that how did the apostles, how did the disciples get to know Jesus. They spent time with him. And we need to have all of us, it's a matter of faith and deepening our faith, but all of us need to deepen the faith that the same Jesus is there, that it's spending time with the Jesus of the Gospels, the Jesus that the apostles walked with, the same Jesus is present. And as you said, you spend some, you give him some time, he will give you messages that help you learn and grow and come back to him. And as St. Augustine says, coming to know the Lord in his Eucharistic presence is one of those things where the more you're there, the hungrier you are. Most things, you know, in our humanity, if, you know, you get full after a while, but it's the opposite with staying, being with the Lord in his Eucharistic presence, you get hungrier rather than being Amen. You know, and added to that, I'm sorry, I keep taking this over excellency, but added to that, 
this is also an excellent opportunity for you to develop a personal relationship with your guardian angel, because more often than not, Jesus is going to use your guardian angel to give you these messages, because your guardian angel is attempting 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to talk to you. But you've got to take time to listen and to talk to him. And that can be developed. I'll be happy to tell anybody how uh, if they contact me. But you actually can converse with your guardian angel. And Jesus, in his Eucharistic presence, will send his servants. They're called guardian angels to you to give you the messages. I'm sorry, Excellency. I shouldn't have done that. No, it's great. And I would just (laughs) add to that. The Immaculate Virgin Mary. Amen. She's always there with her son and really the whole communion of saints. But I mean, and and I think humanly, just because I like to spend as much time as I can in Eucharistic adoration. And sometimes I talk to Mary. Sometimes I talk to the angels. Sometimes I talk to the Archangel Michael. Sometimes I talk to Jesus, you know, but in humanly, we can do that. If we're there loving him in his presence, he wants us to talk to his mom. He wants us to talk to all of those who have gone before us. He wants us to learn because it's all about him. So amen. your angel, Mary, and to remember the, the great mystery of what you're entering into as you adore him in the Eucharist. Amen. Thank you. And by the way, six pack warriors, just a few weeks ago, I did an entire, uh, Catholic boot camp segment on going to Jesus through Mary. There really is no other way to get to him except through her, because that's the way God set it up from the beginning with the incarnation. Excellency will ask, what is a good firm and Catholic way to tell people at work that I don't use pronouns. I assume that means the current thing on pronouns. Yeah. Well, um, I would simply say, read, (laughs) read some Genesis to them. God made them male and female and simply say, you know, not attacking anyone, but just say, this is what guides me. So I believe that we are either male or female because that's what the word of God tells us. You know, a lot of these people are, are not going to pay attention to the word of God, but that that's what that would be my advice to this person to just say, out of all respect, please respect my beliefs that are rooted in this. I mean, it's not just something they made up, but it's it's rooted in sacred scripture. And if they reject that, then you probably have a bigger problem. But I think that's the simplest way to start without attacking anyone, but to just say, this is what guides me, and this is what I have to respect. I'm typically very firm on that myself. I tell people that I use he, she, his, her, and that's all I'm going to use, despite 37 other identified genders. And I'm sorry if they're offended. I'm not sorry... I'm not sorry, actually, that they're offended. I, well, let me see this. How do I usually say it? I usually say, I, it's not my intention to offend. I am not, uh, offending you 
trying to offend you, but I'm not the least bit upset that you're offended because you need to face truth. Yeah. And the, uh, what, another thing I would add is simply use their name. You know, yeah, <laughs> that would be he or she just, I mean, it may sound a little strange or a little, <laughs> awkward, but, but to just keep saying, okay, Joe, uh, Joe's over there and, you know, just use their name. Don't use pronouns. I mean, pronouns are just substitutes for names. Yes, they that's are. Another way to address it as well. Okay. Thank you, Excellency. Suzette asks, why does a priest need approval from the bishop to offer the traditional Latin mass? Well, um, that comes down to the instruction that came last summer um, that... Um, Tradition is custos or custos. Yeah, I can't pronounce it either. Anyway, it was a motu proprio that basically said that the priest needs to get permission from the bishop in order to celebrate um, the Latin Mass. So that's why. And in most seas, that's going to be like pulling teeth today. But uh, I, you actually discovered the joys of the Latin Mass, I don't know, four, five, six years ago when you celebrated it? Not even that. Um, two years ago. Okay. The first time I ever celebrated a Latin Mass was Corpus Christi, the Feast of Corpus Christi in 2020. Um, and there's a whole story that goes with that. But that was the first time. In the seminary, I wasn't even exposed to it. And I've always loved the Mass. I love the Lord present. And he's we need to remember that, that the Lord is present when the Mass is celebrated according to what the church is given, whatever form. Um, but it did enrich my love of our Lord in the Eucharist and my love of the Mass to to get, I'm still what I would call a pre-neophyte of knowing about the, the Latin Mass because it's something that, you know, there's a lot there to learn. And I was never exposed to it before, but uh, it has enriched my approach to the Novus Ordo. And I would hope and pray that it can continue to enrich the church as an ancient rite that um, just calls us closer to Jesus Christ and to remember that when the Mass is celebrated validly by a validly ordained minister of Jesus Christ, Jesus acts. And I think that's what we need to remember. Jesus Amen. acts through his liturgy. And it that if we remember that, then it keeps going out from there. If we believe in whatever form the Mass is being celebrated, whatever language, certainly some say oh, this is more beautiful or whatever. But the most beautiful thing about the Mass is that the Lord it becomes body and blood, soul and divinity present under the form of bread and wine. If we start there and remind ourselves, that's why we're reverent. That's why we should be in awe. That's why everything should be as glorious and beautiful in whatever form as it can be and properly focused because the Lord of the universe shows up on that altar under the form of bread and wine. That's our faith. And that's where I think we all need to keep constantly going. Like we talked about with Eucharistic adoration. I mean, where that Eucharist in adoration comes from is the celebration of the Mass in whatever form, in whatever language. That is what I think in this time in the church with all this turmoil, we need to constantly remind ourselves 
the Lord Jesus is our joy, our glory, our hope, our light, our truth. It's because of him. And if we remember that, then some of these other things will fall back into place properly because we know him. Amen. You know, I have been telling listeners since the beginning of this podcast, three and a half years ago or so, that if you under the, first of all, the blueprint for the mass is found, especially in the first five books of the old Testament. And if you read those and see how they relate to the mass today, you can gain a full understanding of what the mass is all about. If you have a full understanding of the mass, the Novus Ordo is just as beautiful as the TLM. Now, I prefer the TLM because I feel like I'm uh, in the anteroom to heaven during that mass, but because it's, it is so reverent. But the Novus Ordo, if properly celebrated, then it is just as much a perfect offering as the TLM. And I would you agree with that, Excellency? Absolutely. And and Joe, we are in the anteroom to heaven. We That's are true. connected to heaven, to the heavenly sacrifice of Jesus Christ, to that we are connected. And one thing that I like for myself and to point out to others. When we say or sing, Sanctus, 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 Holy, 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 Santo, Santo, Santo in Spanish, whatever the language, when we say that threefold, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord, at that moment, we're reminded we're joining the choir of angels that is eternally singing the praise of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what should give us goosebumps. That should make us breathless in awe of what we're doing when we sing those words. And that is the marker of entering into and coming very close to those words of consecration. If we can really ramp up our recognition of that, um, then we'll come a, a lot closer to the Lord and be strengthened by him and his truth much more powerfully. I agree. You know, and one thing I like to remind myself of during the mass, while we are standing, sitting and kneeling, every angel in that room is prostrate on the floor. They are in adoration and worship of Jesus Christ, even before he is called down from heaven by the priest and Incidentally, he obeys when the priest calls him down. That's, I think that in itself is unique. But if we understood the Mass the way the angels do, we'd never get up off the floor either, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's what we need to, to cultivate in our own spirituality is to just be in awe of that. And to pray when a priest is not... Uh, indicating that and is seems rushed or seems distracted pray for him pray for the priest to grow closer to our lord in the eucharist because we're the ones that celebrate the mass and that is the awesome gift of our priesthood 
Amen. Thank you, Excellency. And I thank you for being on this episode of the Sacred Heart Wins. Uh, Six Pack Warriors, this ends this episode of, or this segment for this episode of the Sacred Heart Wins. And we'll expect uh, Bishop Strickland back next week, correct? Correct. Okay. Thank you very much, Excellency. All you listeners, have a great week. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. An overworked and very tired businessman was trying to relax and read the evening paper in peace and quiet. His six-year-old son, as small children are often wont to do, wanted his father's attention, and the boy asked question after question to engage his father for the paternal attention he needed. The father needed a little relaxation, so he tried to think of a way to get the boy to give him a little peace without hurting his son's feeling, which led to an idea. The man took an advertising page from the paper that had a picture of a map of the world on one side. He tore the picture into many pieces and told his son to put the picture of the world together like a jigsaw puzzle. The boy went to another room and began to work on his father's puzzle. In ten minutes, the boy was back with the pieces of the world perfectly matching and in place. Since the six-year-old boy couldn't possibly have known geography, the father couldn't understand how the boy put the puzzle together so quickly. He asked, Son, how did you get the map together in such a short time? That was easy, Dad, the smiling little boy said. All I did was put the man right. When I did that, the world came out right. What do you mean? There was a picture of a man on the other side of the map. I just put him together. I remember what my life was like before I became a Catholic, and it wasn't pretty. 
I often thank God for allowing me to find him in the Catholic Church and giving me the opportunity to know, love, and serve him in this life so I can be forever happy with him in the next. I had lived for, well, nothing. I lived in pursuit of happiness, as all men do, but I really didn't know where to find it. I thought wealth and the power that goes with it would make me happy. By the time I was 25, I'd acquired more wealth than most of any five people earn in a lifetime, and I did it by sheer gut determination and ruthless opportunism. Every time I'd achieve a financial goal, I'd still find myself not satisfied. Then I'd set a new goal, thinking if I could just get that goal, whether it be money, position, or a particular thing, I'd finally be happy. But I was wrong. I was miserable, and that misery increased, it seemed, daily and exponentially. Finally, thanks to my own greed and self-servitude, I lost everything before I was 30. I mean everything. I went from living in a brick and stone 6,000 square foot home and several luxury vehicles to living in a 12 by 60 mobile home and driving a 13 year old car almost overnight. Things only got worse from there. Then I met a man who managed to interest me in the Catholic faith. There's no good reason why he was able to interest me other than the divine attributes of actual grace because I had left the Protestant faith of my youth and became an agnostic. I had no interest in God or religion whatsoever, but I did eventually embrace the Catholic faith. The man was made right, and the world finally came out right for me. Did I reacquire wealth? No, not at all. Indeed, life has been a struggle financially over 30 years now, but I'm finally happy. I have occasion all the time to see people living the same hell on earth I lived half a lifetime ago. The best example of this came a few years ago. I was passing through Las Vegas on my way to California for a conference, driving through the city in the wee hours of the morning. I'd always wanted to see Caesar's Palace, so I pulled off the interstate just to take a few moments to look it over. Frankly, I never really noticed the beauty of Caesar's Palace, because I couldn't divert my attention from the people wandering around the casino. I heard laughing and saw a lot of activity, but the thing I didn't see as I looked into the eyes of these people I passed was life. Their eyes were empty and lifeless. These were people devoid of purpose, joy, or happiness. I wanted to embrace some of them and try to tell them I'd been just like them and that their lives didn't have to be so full of misery and emptiness. It was so painful to me that I left without seeing all of Caesar's palace and headed back to the interstate to continue my journey. I recall praying for these haunted souls all the way to California. Our world is crazy, much like the little boy's puzzle. It's not getting any better, and I seriously doubt it ever will get any better. The individual world of individual people doesn't have to be crazy, though. As the little boy discovered, when you put the man right, then his individual world comes out right. I made the intellectual decision to become a Catholic when it was proven to me that Jesus Christ established the Catholic Church, but my emotional decision came when it was proved to me that Jesus Christ, true God and true man, is really and fully present in the Holy Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. 
I'll never forget the day I was baptized, but more importantly, I'll never forget my first Holy Communion. I wept that day like a child, but for the very first time in my life, my tears were those of immense joy and happiness. I was made right that day, and my world came out right. Having become a Catholic, though, didn't immediately or magically change me from the man I once was. I continued to struggle with all the evil tendencies I had before becoming a Catholic. I still struggle with some of them today, and probably will for the remainder of my life. Still, I am so far from being the man I was then that the memory of it seems more like a bad dream than a memory. There are four things that have allowed me to change my life, and none of them is possible for anyone outside the Catholic Church. This is true for anyone who wants a life full of joy and happiness. If you want to have such life, then you must also embrace these four things. First, you must avail yourself of regular and frequent confession. This is how God works to change our attitudes and habits, especially once your confessor gets to know your soul the way you know your best friend so he can guide you. Next, you must receive frequent communion. Each time you do, Jesus increases sanctifying grace in your soul. If you can, go to daily Mass and receive communion. Third, learn the faith. Knowing all that Christ teaches through his holy church is like having an instruction manual for living life. You can't apply what you don't know, so learn the faith well. Finally, make up your mind to obey Christ's command in Matthew 5.38 to, quote, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, make up your mind to become a saint. Lest you receive some very special graces from our Lord, you'll fall every single day. Just get up, go to confession, and keep right on going. Jesus doesn't demand success, rather only the best effort we can possibly give with his help. Got a business or an apostolate? Why not consider advertising on the Cantankerous Catholic? I'll give you nine reasons why you should. One, 82.4% of podcast listeners spend more than seven hours per week listening to podcasts. Two, 54% of listeners are more likely to buy something advertised on a podcast because they like and trust the host. Three, podcasts are proven to get more ad results to highly refined targeted audience. The smaller audiences on podcasts buy more than the largest audiences on terrestrial radio or television. Four, our listeners' annual household income is $75,000 or higher. Five, 49% of Americans listen to podcasts monthly. Six, 55% of Americans listen to podcasts. Seven, three out of four listeners listen to learn new things, ideal for advertisers. Eight, 82.4% of podcast listeners spend more than seven hours per week listening to podcasts. Nine, advertising on the Cantankerous Catholic helps support a completely orthodox apostolate poised to help instigate a Catholic revival, and one's coming. Over 81% of our more than 70,000 listeners are right here in America. We're listened to in all 50 states and tens of thousands of cities and towns. 
Advertising on the Cantankerous Catholic costs far less than you might think. I'm not trying to make a living, but only keep this apostolate alive, and you'd be helping with that. So reach out to me today at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com and let's talk about it. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Thomas Aquinas. He said, Hold firmly that our faith is identical with that of the ancients. Deny this, and you dissolve the unity of the church. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Little Marie was saddened because her father didn't go to Mass on Sundays. After Sister taught her about the plan of offering sacrifices she called golden pennies to Jesus for souls, Mary was very faithful in putting many golden pennies into a special envelope marked for sacrifices. One day she was smiling when she told Sister that her daddy had gone to Mass again. Is your father going to Mass every Sunday, Marie? Yes, Sister, ever since I stopped watching television. Puzzled, Sister asked, what does television have to do with it? Oh, came her shy answer, since I've been giving Jesus one golden penny for not watching TV for 15 minutes each night, my father asked me, what's the matter, Marie? Don't you like television anymore? I told him I liked Jesus better, and I wished that he would make Daddy go to Mass on Sundays. My father didn't say anything then, but he's been going to Mass every Sunday since. Marie, as young as she was, understands how much the mortal sin of not going to Mass on Sundays offends Jesus. Since she loved Jesus so much, she was willing to give up watching TV for a while to get her father to Mass. This little story about the power of sacrifice also teaches us about genuine love, because genuine love is, by its very nature, sacrificial. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.